we're going to start a new message series this morning on the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And um, we're going to go through the rest of the summer, um, basically from uh, Genesis chapter 25 to 35. And uh, this morning we're looking at the, uh, the birth of Jacob. But if you don't know who Jacob was, he was the grandson of Abraham. Now, Abraham um, may have been a little more familiar to you, but he was the guy that uh, we read Genesis 12 earlier in the, in the service. Um, he was the guy that God um, spoke to and said, go leave your home and go to the land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give you that land. He makes these promises to Abraham. I'm going to give you that land, and I'm going to make you into a mighty nation, and this incredibly big nation, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to use you and your descendants to bless the entire world. And so there are these, these mammoth promises that God gives to Abraham. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has the 12 sons. And, and, uh, and that's basically the rest of Genesis. It's, it's talking about, the rest of Genesis kind of unpacks the beginning of God's fulfillment to that, promises, that promise in Genesis 12, okay? And so we're going to start looking at, at Genesis 25, verses 19 to 28, at the, uh, the birth of Jacob, where what we see here is um, there's a lot of, basically the, the introduction to the life of Jacob. Um, it, it kind of gives us some of the themes that we're going to revisit as we look at Jacob's life as he grows up and as he lives. And uh, we're, we're going to kind of get a sense of what his life is going to be about. And as we see that, um, it also gives us a sense of what our lives are meant to be about as well. So listen to God's word as I read from Genesis 25, verses 19 to 28. It's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to try to follow along there. Um, listen to God's word. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Um, Father, we pray for, for our hearts, which are so easily distracted, which are hard. Um, Father, we pray that you would soften them and that you would help us to listen to what you want to say to us. And we pray, Father, that as we look at your word, that we would, we would truly be changed by your work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, schools have just come to an end, right, the last couple of weeks, and I am guessing that in middle school and high school, at least, uh, they were passing out yearbooks. Um, I'm assuming yearbooks are still a thing. Students in middle school, high school, do you guys still get yearbooks? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if they still sign them or what, but I remember my favorite yearbook of all the years I was growing up was my senior year in high school because when we got that yearbook, um, I did what I always do when I got the yearbook. I, I flipped to the back to the index and I looked for my name and I looked for what pages I was on. You know, what pages I mentioned, what pages there's pictures of me. And my senior year of high school, like usually every other year, there was just like, I looked at my name, there's just one page. You know, it's just the standard school shot of me, or maybe two pages. But my senior year, there was like two rows of pages of me, all about me. It was awesome. I was so excited about it. I wanted to bring some, hopefully, pictures. Are there, is there a picture? And if you, if you advance the slide, is there a picture of, uh, from the yearbook? Oh, yeah, there's one of them. That was like a coveted color page I was on even, you know? Um, so there's one, there's another one. I brought a few to show you. There's another one, if you recognize me. I'm not as cool as Craig Abramson. There I am playing basketball. Go ahead, next one. There I am looking much more cool, if you can see. Um, and then go ahead and next one. That, that was, I think my friend like paid to be able to dress me up and follow him around and carry his books. So that's, uh, that's what he dressed me up like. But I think that might be it. But there, I was so excited. You can go, you can, you can go past them now. Thank you. I know, it'll be really distracting. Just enjoy the pictures. So um, I was excited because I was in the yearbook so much. Like, that's, how I, that's how I saw yearbooks. And I think I've used this illustration before. Is, is that like a yearbook is meant to be primarily about me. You know, I'm most excited about the pages that are about me, um, the pages that I see myself in them. And I think, sadly, a lot of us, that's the way we look at our Bibles, you know? We look at our Bible as primarily a book about me, telling a story about me. We get most excited about the pages that really speak to me, you know, or about verses that are really meaningful to me, where I really feel like they're really relevant for my life. Um, we look at the Bible as a story about me. Um, and this, this summer, we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob um, in Genesis, as I mentioned before. And it's going to be tempting for us to look at the life of Jacob as a story about Jacob. And we're going to be looking for what he is doing um, on every page. But the reality is, and what we see in this introduction um, to his life, with the, the birth narrative of his life, um, is we see that his life isn't really about him. What we see here is that Jacob's life is, is actually about God. It's about who God is, about what God is doing and you see that right here up front with his birth, right? I mean, the whole reason Jacob exists is because of a miracle that God does, right? Jacob's mom, Rebecca, is barren. She cannot have kids, and God provides a child, right? And then um, his whole life is, is going to be structured, lived out in a way that goes against the way that the world works. I mean, the whole culture at the time was built upon the fact that the oldest child was the one that, that got the blessing, was the one that ruled the family and everything like that. And here we have a promise from God to Rebecca that the younger child is going to rule over the older child. The older child is going to serve the younger child, right? And that's a, that's a clear indication that God is doing something. It's not going to happen the way the world usually does it. And so what we have here, just even evidence right here at the beginning, this is a story not primarily about Jacob, but it's a story about God and who he is, and what he's doing. And just as Jacob's story isn't about Jacob, but instead primarily about God, it is the same for each and every one of us. Every single one of us. Our lives, while we are important, I'm not saying we're unimportant, our lives are meant not to be primarily about us, but primarily about God, who he is, 
and what he is doing. And that's incredibly important for us to get our minds around and to, and to grasp and to understand. Because if we approach life thinking it's primarily about me, then it's very easy to get frustrated, it's very easy to get depressed, it's very easy to get angry when the storytelling doesn't go the way that I want it to, you know? Um, and so when we understand that, that God is the one telling the story and he's the primary purpose of the whole story, it gives us a little insight into, the, into, into life, especially when things don't go the way that I want them to. And what I wanna do this morning is look at this birth narrative, at these verses, and uh, as we, if, if we were in this story, in the Jacob story, um, I wanna explore three different things where we might have taken issue with this story because it wasn't going the way that we'd like it to. Um, because it mirrors the way that maybe our lives, we take issue with our lives when they don't go the way we'd like them to. Um, so first of all, I think one of the things this, that happens in the story is that from maybe Isaac and Rebecca's perspective, this is a story that is entirely too slow. It's too slow. And what I mean by that is that um, here we have a story where God is providing a child for a couple that is unable to have kids, right? It says it right up front. Um, Isaac prayed for his wife in verse 21 because she was barren. She was unable to have kids. Um, but then it's pretty amazing. It, it immediately, say, immediately says, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And that sounds amazing, right? She was barren, he prayed, she conceived. It's, it's incredible. But what it's easy to miss, and maybe you didn't miss this, but it's easy to miss this, is that um, Isaac took Rebekah to be his wife when he was how old? He was 40. He was 40, right? In verse 20, and if you look down, down the passage at verse 26, how old is he when she actually gives birth? He's 60. So, you know, verse 21 makes it sound like, you know, she was barren, he prayed, she gave birth. But the reality was, is that she, they got married, she was barren, they couldn't have kids, and he prayed. And a year went by, and there's no kids. And another year went by, and there's no kids. And another year went by, and there's no kids. And he's continuing to pray. And, and he spent 20 years, and Isaac and Rebecca spent 20 years waiting, wondering, longing, hurting, because they have no children, you know? And, and, and so from their perspective, I would have guessed that they would have been like, God, what's going on here? Why am I having to wait this long? Where is this? You know, this, this promise you made to, to my dad, Abraham, you're going to make us into a great nation. Where is this, what, how is this going to ever happen? And so this is a story that's going slowly, painfully slow, right? Um, as I said before, when we assume that our stories are primarily about us, we want them to go our way. We want them to, we want our stories to, to go quickly. We want, we want answers to our problems and now, right? We want immediate solutions to all the things that we are dealing with. But that's just not the way that God works as he tells the story. Things move at a snail's pace often. Um, the pace at which God works is so much slower than we would like. Someone is sick in our family and they're just not getting better. And we're like, why? How long is this gonna take? You know, we, we have a job where we're incredibly unfulfilled and we're looking for another job and we're just like going on interview after interview and we're just like, nothing is panning out, you know? 
month after month and even year after year. Why does God take so long? Why does he take so long? That's, that's the reality of it. The reality of life is that it moves way slower than we want it to. Maybe we're just kind of in some kind of holding pattern. We're looking for God to lead us. What does he want us to do next, you know? And we're just like, we're just in this holding pattern and life just kind of stays the same. What, what happens in the, in the story, you know, the, the thing that uh, as, as they wait 20 years, um, the thing that happens here is that Isaac prays, right, in verse 21. And I think that's definitely one of the realities, one of the reasons that God works so slowly in a lot of cases is that he wants our attention fully on him. If, we, if he were just to give us everything we wanted and solve all our problems immediately, we would never even pay attention to him. He wants us to pay attention to him. Like I have a, you know, this, this picture in my mind. Do you, you remember being a, a little kid in class and all the kids are like talking and talking and there's just tons of noise and sometimes the teacher would be up front and she would just stop talking and she would just look at everybody. Just waiting. And like a couple kids would notice and we realized that, she, that the teacher's like waiting until everybody finally stops talking and looks at her. You know, that, that's I think what maybe God is doing a lot of times when he's working so slowly is he's waiting for us to look at him and give him our attention and trust in him. The story that God is telling is often too slow for us. Another thing that jumps out to me as I read this is that it's a a story that's too painful. It's too painful. After 20 years, Rebecca is finally pregnant, and I can imagine they are overjoyed and celebrating, right? But then, immediately, it says in verse 22, the children struggled together within her. The, the Hebrew, the translation of the Hebrew is actually that they smashed against each other. In other parts of the Bible, it talks about skulls smashing together. And so apparently there's this you know, immense amount of discomfort and pain that she is going through. You know, Finally, she's, she's been waiting and waiting for a child. Now she's pregnant. But now it's so incredibly unbearable. The pain is unbearable to the point that she says, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Again, in the Hebrew, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't even use that many words. It really just says, if thus, why? That's what she says. If thus, why? Why? Why am I in so much pain? Why does this apparent, like, great thing have to be accompanied by so much pain? Why? A lot of life, I think, for all of us, drives us to this short prayer. Why? 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 There's too much pain in life. There's too much. How many of us are dealing with physical pain that, you know, is, is chronic? We face it every day, and we wonder, am I, am I gonna, how am I going to make it today? We have a family member who is dealing with just an immense amount of pain, and, and it's just like... It weighs on us. How many of us are dealing with the pain just relationally of somebody who has hurt us, who has been cruel to us, who has ignored us, who's failed us? You know, how, how many of us are dealing with the pain of, of life just, just being, feeling extremely unfulfilled and feeling incredibly alone? There's a lot of pain in life that moves us to just be like, why? Why? But again, I think we see the pain push Rebecca where? In one direction. It pushes, it pushes her towards God. Why? It pushes her towards God. 
Your prayer is short and maybe filled with a lot of doubt and maybe even anger, but it pushes her towards him. I think that's a lot of times what pain does for us. Right? I think C.S. Lewis said something like, pain is, is the megaphone of God shouting to get our attention. And so it's a story that's often too painful. If it were me, I would prefer a a storyline that's completely painless, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather live every day of your life with no pain whatsoever? It would be fantastic. That's simply not the reality of the way that God tells a story. He wants us to, to look to him, even in our pain, to cry out to him, why? The, the hard thing is that, that God's answer to her indicates that their story is going to be one that is too messy as well. So it's not that it's just too slow and too painful, but it's also going to be too messy. Um, God says that there are two nations in her womb. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Two nations in your womb, kind of reminding Rebecca and Isaac that this, they are part of a story that is massive, that is way bigger than them. There's two nations in her womb. But the problem is that these guys aren't going to get along. I know, that's, that's why you're in so much pain. They're already not getting along. These guys aren't going to get along. They're going to be divided amongst each other. And, and there's going to be, you know, the, the younger one's going to be stronger than the older one. The older one's going to serve the younger one. Things aren't going to be like all, you know, peace and harmony in their household. And you already see, you know, glimpses of that as they're born and they start growing up, and they're very, very different, right? And they, they even, even there's, there's contention in their household, you know? There's favoritism. One parent likes one, the other parent likes the other. There's division. Things are messy. Things are complicated. Wouldn't it be nice if life was less messy? Life is way more complicated than I'd like it to be. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Wouldn't it be nice if there were, there were no disagreements, no division, no obstacles, if there were perfect answers, easy answers to everything that we were dealing with in life, if nothing was ever complicated? I mean, even as we're planning for soccer camp this week, you know, I'm looking forward to soccer camp as we go to Freedom Park and, and uh, we try to share the gospel with, with kids and families. And, and, um, and yet, you know, every year I feel like I say the same thing. Why does it have to be so complicated? Why can't we just have sunny weather forecasted throughout the week? Why do I have to like deal with the, the burden and the pressure of figuring out, do we cancel, do we not? You know, how do we communicate with everybody? You know, why does life have to be so complicated? That's just the way life is. Life is messy. Life isn't the way that it should be. And I guess that's what I'm really just trying to say. Nothing is as it should be. Nothing is as it should be. Even here, as the children are born, we get a glimpse of the fact that nothing is going to be as it should be. Esau is born, and then his little brother, you know, Jacob, just by a few seconds, is born. And he's doing this cute little thing where he's grabbing his heel, you know? He's grabbing his heel, and that's why they name him Jacob. It's so cute. And uh, Jacob actually sounds like the word for heel, but also sounds like it it might come from another word that actually means protect or God protects believe it or not and so it it kind of conveys the idea of you know when when there's an army marching and you have a rear guard protecting the the back of the army the heels of the army it's like may God protect you and so uh, you know as they name Jacob 
as he grew up, what he should have been was a, a man who lived to protect those around him, to live for those around him, to, to protect his brother, to stay behind him always and, and serve him. And yet, as Jacob grow, grows, what we will find out is that he completely devalues his name. And instead, we know Jacob's name to be more associated with the fact that he's, he's, he's grabbing people's heels to trip them up. He's grabbing people's heels to deceive them. And so even with Jacob's name, we have a clue of the fact that life isn't what it's supposed to be. Jacob grows up to be other than he's supposed to be. And that's the reality. All of us aren't who we're supposed to be. All of us aren't. And so this is a story that's gonna be messy. And, and all of us are living in stories that are messy. And, and the, the reality, though, is is that even though this story is, is messy, what we have to recognize is that this story is part of God's story that he's telling. God is actually working through the messiness of the story. The mess doesn't prevent God from doing what he wants to do. And that's absolutely true for every single one of us as well. No matter how complicated your life is, no matter how many you feel like you don't have the answers to everything, no matter how much, you know, even if rain happens five days this week and we have to cancel every single day of soccer camp. That sounds really messy to me. I can take heart that God is going to do what he wants to do. God is going to do what he wants to do, no matter how messy it gets. And so what we see here, which is consistent with, his own, with our own lives, is that, that, that we have a story that's too slow, it's too painful, it's too messy, and it's tempting to just say, I, I don't really want to be a part of a story like that, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to be a part of a story like that. I, I want my story to move quicker. I want my story to be painless. I want my story to be clean. What's the point? Why should I surrender to God's story? Why should I trust him if this is the way he's going to write my story? Why? And that's where I think you have to zoom out a little bit um, as we look at Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, you have to zoom out and you have to realize the fact that this little part of this story is part of a much bigger story, right? It's part of a huge story. It's part of a story of God doing good to his people, to every single one of them, of God blessing his people. That's why I had us read Genesis 12, right? The promise that he makes to Abraham is the, is the promise that is being fulfilled right here. The promise that says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you I'm going to do good to you, and I'm going to use you to bless the world, to do good to the world. That promise is being fulfilled right here. No matter how slow this story is working, no matter how messy it is, no matter how painful it is, God is doing good to Isaac and Rebekah and to Jacob. He's doing good to them. His story is even too good maybe to be true. It's too good. See, God made this promise to Abraham, and, and what happened? It, it took 2,000 years for it to be fulfilled in Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, the one through whom the world would truly be blessed, the one through whom we experience the channel of God's goodness and his love and his blessing. And as you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see? You see pain. You see the pain of, of the God-man surrendering to the brokenness of this world and even to being rejected and hung on a cross and killed 
That's as messy of a story as you're ever gonna see. And yet through all of that, God says, I am gonna open up the doors of blessing to all who will receive it, to all who will receive, who will receive him. I mean, that's, that is what this story is really about. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. That is what your life is meant to be about, about Jesus, about experiencing the goodness of God through Jesus and seeing how Jesus wants to express his goodness to everyone around you, through you. That is what we need to learn to believe. That even though our lives feel like a lot of times they're moving too slow, a lot of times they're too painful, it's too messy, that at the same time, that the truth is that God is actually being incredibly good. He has incredible plans. What has he already done in in giving me his love and his forgiveness through the work of his son? There is nothing greater than that. And so we need to to learn to believe that along with all of these other, other things that God is always being good, always being good. No matter how your life goes today, no matter what disappointments you face today, no matter how much this week, you know, goes wrong, God's goodness is, is bigger and better than I can even imagine. Just as it was bigger and better than even you know, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob could imagine in the midst of this. And so he invites us to trust him and to believe it and to rest in it today. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the, the promise that you give to us that even though the storytelling of our lives is far from what we would like, the reality is that the story that you're writing is better than we can imagine and better than we could have done ourselves. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that and to believe it because so much of the dysfunction in our lives is the fact that we don't believe, that we don't believe in your goodness, that we don't believe that you are strong and wise and that you love us that we don't believe in all that Jesus is and all that he has done. Help us to believe and to know that your goodness is gonna be poured out upon us today in the midst of all these other things. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. We now have an opportunity